go to the movies and I go downtown, but somebody keeps telling me, don't hang around. The soundtrack of our lives. As we Christian people come to this day, here's a song that might capture something of the word change for us, especially as it ties to our Christian identity. It's by one of the great theologians of our day. Her name is Carrie Underwood. The lyrics are, he said, I've been where you've been before. Down every hallway's a slamming door. No way out, no one to come and save me, wasting a life that the good Lord gave you. And then somebody said what I'm saying to you. Open my eyes, and he told me the truth. He said, just a little faith, it'll all get better. So I followed that preacher man down to the river, and now I'm changed. And now I'm stronger. There must have been something in the water. Okay, so she's not such a great theologian. That's terrible theology. There must have been something in the water. We all know the point of the song is that Jesus Christ, when he is invited into our lives, changes us. That's good news. In an American society that fights its own fresh battles on the civil rights front. We need some change. But for gathered humanity in the United States, let's just bring it right down to Lumberton, Texas. Let's do better than that. Let's bring it into this room. Not a single person in here is exempt from the need to change. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here's a reality check for you. Sam Cook got it right. Change is going to come. As a matter of fact, one of the things that is so constant in our life is that change is so going to come that we better learn how to handle change, how to manage it, if you will, in our lives. And that, as we do that, as we learn to handle the change that comes our way, it allows us to maximize the benefit that comes with change. Now, always get to this point in talking about change. It's one of those staples that I keep throwing out in front of a church Because every church is in the process of changing every day. But I always get those people who say, I don't don't like to change. I don't like change. You know what? With all the love I can muster, you're lying to me when you say that. Because you do like change. You know how I know that? Every one of you in here has changed underwear in the last week. (laughs) Uh, That's a terrible thought, I know I said that in the first service and one of our young children came up to me and her mama said, you're not supposed to say underwear in church. (laughs) You do like change, at least certain kinds of change. You change lanes all the time while you're driving. You change the channels on your TV. It's not that you don't like change. It is that you don't like the change you don't like. That's the real key there. The staple in life is that change is in fact going to come. And yet so many people get caught up in resisting change. They spend incredible amounts of money and incredible amounts of energy trying to resist the change that's going to come. Had a discussion uh, over the break. I had to make a trip up into northern Louisiana on some church business. And as I was coming back, I stopped at Central Baptist Church in Carthage, Texas. The pastor there was a guy that I went to school with in the last part of my education process. 
and I got through there just a little bit after lunch uh, lunchtime, and so I thought, I'll go by and I'll get a free meal out of this freeloading guy. Well, I guess I was a freeloading guy, and sure enough, he had already eaten lunch, so he didn't buy me lunch, which was fine, but I, I didn't go for lunch, really. I went to just kind of re, reestablish the friendship of, of life in the trenches that we had together for a while. And as I was talking to him, he was telling me about his life since those days in school. And that's been roughly five, six years now, seven since he and I were classmates. And he talked to me about the incredible regret that he has for not finishing that part of his degree. And I I pushed him a little bit. I said, well, if you feel that kind of regret, why don't you go back? And it's just too hard. He said, you know, I didn't make the changes I needed to to get through in the first place. And now I'm not sure I want to make the changes to finish. What I wanted to say to him was, then you have earned the regret that you carry. Think for a moment of your life today as you sit here. What are the things in your life that you would love to change, but you just won't for some reason? It's just too hard. Preacher, you don't understand. If I were to do that, it would cost money. Okay then enjoy the regret that you carry. Some people resist change when it makes no sense to resist change. Change is one of the changing... Let me, okay, I messed it up. Let me back it up. I want you to remember this. I want to say it right. Change is one of the unchanging realities of life. It just comes. Now, there's some change that comes at us that we do have control over, but there's some that we don't have control over. This week, Teresa and I were sitting out uh, in our backyard. We'd started a fire back there, and uh, we were sitting out, and it was before you know, the bad weather hit, and so we were just kind of sitting out, and it was getting dark around us, and it, you know, it went into middle of the evening, and we're just sitting out around the fire, and, and we were talking a little bit about the year that is finishing now. And there have been a lot of changes in our life this year that we had no control over. In June, we married off our daughter. Praise God for that. She's off of my payroll. So we had a wedding. But here in the last few months of 2014, now going into 2015, our oldest son is going through a divorce. Those are things we don't have control over. And yet, they hit us. In August, we received the phone call that my brother-in-law had taken his own life. Change comes that we have no control over, and yet it affects us. Less than a week later, or about a week later, I suppose, we got the phone call that Teresa's stepdad had died. So in a very short stretch of time, we buried two family members. Not long after that, I totaled my car driving back to work one day. Some things we just don't have control over, and yet when they hit us, they mark us. I want you to think back. This is a good time of the year to reflect backwards on your life. What are the changes of your life of the past year that you have had no control over? 
here at church. We could do that. It'd probably be a good healthy thing for us to do in circles as we transition from one year into the next. What are the things about us as a church that have changed in the last year that we had no control over? You know, we had some break-ins. We had some stuff stolen. We had some funerals here. We've had severe health emergencies within our church family over the past year. We don't get control over those things, and yet we have to deal with them. Change is going to come. There are those things that we can control. And I would say to you in the midst of that, let's transition from this out of just general change and let's put it right down into the real point of reference for us today in this building. And that is what about the spiritual parts of your life? As you look back over 2014, what has changed for you spiritually? Now, I know that there's at least three options here. There is that one set of people that may be sitting here going, you know, really, my life, my spiritual life is pretty much what it was this time last year. Nothing has really changed. To which I would say, in as much love as I can muster, you've wasted a year of growth. But others would say, but you know, that's not me because I have grown this year. I'm so much closer to God in my relationship with Jesus Christ today than I was a year ago. This has been a year of great change for me. But we can't talk about those two without acknowledging the reality that there would be some who would sit. Actually, they're probably not likely to be here because there are some people in our lives who are distant from God. And maybe this time last year or two years ago or somewhere in the past, they were tight in fellowship with God, but something happened that pushed them away or at least they let it drive them away. So here's what I want to leave you with today. We're almost finished. I got a complaint last time that the Pentecostals beat us to the lunch places, so I want to be sure and be finished early today. (laughs) Here's, Here's a good truth for us going into the new year. Control the change that you can so that it helps you to handle the change that you can't control. In other words, make decisions, be proactive in changing your life so that when those things that come at you that you cannot control, when you get the phone call that a family member has taken their own lives, how do you handle that? Take the time that you have now to change the reality now that gives you strength then. That brings me to this passage of scripture. I know half of you out there going, he didn't even use scripture for this. Okay, so here we are. Matthew chapter 7, now I want to set the tone, the tone for us here before I get into it because I want to make sure you get what's going on here. Jesus has given, been giving chapters 5, 6, and 7 what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Now one of the first series that I preached when I got here was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. The reason I did that is because the Sermon on the Mount is the, in a nutshell, what it means and what it looks like in life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus essentially says, you want to be my follower? You want to be a kingdom person? You want to be what we would later call Christian? Then here's what your life needs to look like. And as we make our way through that Sermon on the Mount, there is plenty in there that causes us to go, okay, I have to change because the way he describes life is not the way I'm living life. And it calls for change. 
One of the great marks of maturity in Christians, or maybe a maturing Christian, is that they recognize that they don't have what it takes to make the change. We are spiritually bankrupt. We all come as novices to this thing called spiritual formation. And so Jesus, understanding that, as he comes now in chapter 7 to the end of the entire sermon, he dives towards the finish line with this push to us. Chapter 7, verse 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. And because Jesus recognizes, I think, that we don't always get it on the first pass, He repeats it in a different way so that we get it. Verse 8, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And now he switches it, and he appeals to the character of God. Because Jesus knows that we're not even sharp enough to ask for the right stuff. And by the way, let me just stop before I even get into the rest of this reading here and tell you This is a passage that is often misused and abused by some prosperity gospel proponents. This does not mean that if you really want to drive a Lexus, all you got to do is ask for it. Jesus, in context, is talking about what it takes to live the kind of life that he has laid out in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, he said. You cannot do this, so just ask. And then he puts the character of God on the line with it. Verse 9, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, our problem is we don't normally even ask for the right stuff. We ask for serpents and stones. And God still gives us the good things. Change is going to come. And the injunction, the push that I have for us is that we control the change that we can so we're not at the mercy of the change that we can't control. And the only way to do that is to be in right relationship and right posture with God himself. And so Jesus says, when you can't do that on your own, just ask. I I like this passage. I I heard uh, a pastor recently who was preaching this passage, and this is not his sermon. Matter of fact, I'm not sure he would like this sermon, but he might. Uh, but I like some things he said about this particular verse, verse 7. I've never seen this before. As much as I've studied the Sermon on the Mount, as many times as I've taught it or preached to it, I, I never got this little nuance about it, but I love what it says. Remember what I said, there are three, at least three groups of people. Anytime we gather together, there are those who are in good communion and fellowship with God. There are those who are distanced from God for some reason. And then there are those who are blocked by God. There's something in their life that they just will not get past. All three of those are addressed in verse 7. For those who are in communion with God and you're... you're your walk with him, your life with him is so tight with him. It's as if your head is leaning on his, on his chest and you hear every breath of God and it just resonates in you. He says, ask. Just, just ask. For those of us who are estranged from God and distanced and maybe you walked in here and it's been years since you even thought about God and something called a relationship with him. The second part of it says, seek him. 
Seek and you'll find. God's not hiding. God wants us to have communion with him. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. And then for those who have something in their lives, maybe it's a loved one who died out of time. Maybe it's a sickness of a family member. Maybe a child. Maybe some kind of something in your life that is an obstacle and you cannot, will not consider moving past it. The third part of this puts the onus on God. You knock and he'll answer the door. If you can't see him, then trust him. That's how you manage the change that positions you to handle the change that will come. So how is it with you today? In your life, as you close out 2014, and as you look backwards and you see that spiritual part of you, that that element of your life that is designed for communion with your creator, how is it between you and God? If you're not closer to him than you've ever been, then there's room for change for you. And he says, just ask. And he moves to us. It may be that you left God 40 years ago. And yet he's as close as a prayer that says, help me. I would encourage you between now and the new year, to spend some time reflecting. Do it personally first. It's a good thing to do. It's a a good discipline to build into your life, to take those Sabbath times, those times of break, and instead of just cramming different stuff into your schedule, take some genuine Sabbath time and back off from the world and reflect backwards and ask God to quicken your memory as to what's happened in your life and how it's affected your life with him over the past year. Spend some time doing that. Do it individually first. And then after you've done it individually, do it with some family members. Some of the best therapy for Teresa and myself as we've gone through some of these difficult things over the last four or five months has been to sit down together and talk through those things. You know, that is the nature of family. It's what it's supposed to be anyway. And some of you may be sitting out there and saying, I don't have family. Yeah, you do. You're surrounded by family today. We help each other through these times. So as you look backwards, the other thing I would ask you to do is to ask God to change you. Change is coming. You might as well get ahead of it by walking with him. Don't you think? Let's pray.